It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. My dear friends, it is hard to believe that we are coming to an end in this series. And what an amazing journey we have undertaken. This study in the book of Daniel has revealed four major visions. Daniel 2, the first vision, describes the rise and fall of world empires and ends with the second coming of Christ crushing all earthly empires. The second vision, Daniel 7, covers the same history but introduces new details, especially the rise of the little horn. Daniel 8 and 9 stand as the third vision, covering the same history but introduce even more detail. Most importantly, the reality of Christ as the eternal one who is in the sanctuary in heaven is revealed in those chapters. Now, this whole process of these different visions carrying the same information is the process of repeating called recapitulation or repeat and enlarge. Now, today our study takes us to the fourth and final vision of Daniel in chapters 10 through 12. Now, it covers the same history, but with new details. In fact, Daniel chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, it says the following. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. The Hebrew word translated as appointed time can also be translated as army, host, warfare, or service. Now, this word appears 500 times in the Old Testament, and only three times is it translated as appointed time. This is why some versions, such as the Revised Standard Version, translate this verse we just read as, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. Now, by understanding kind of the deep background meaning of this word, it gives the sense that there is a conflict occurring behind the scenes. More than just wars with men and weapons, but a conflict between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. Now, this conflict forms the backdrop for the battles described in chapter 11 between the king of the north and the king of the south. Now, in these chapters, instead of a statue or beasts, we have new symbols, the king of the north and the king of the south. Now, the angel Gabriel also states, now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. Now, it is God's people who are at the center of the great battles that take place between the king of the north and the king of the south. Now, because there is 
so much historical content in Daniel 11, we will not attempt here to exhaustively cover every facet of this amazing chapter, but instead we'll look at some highlights. Now in Daniel 10, verse 21, Gabriel begins by telling Daniel, but I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. Now, Gabriel continues in Daniel 11:2, where he states, and now I will tell you the truth. This series has noted time and time again how impossible it would be for the content of the book of Daniel to come about by pure chance or luck. Gabriel states that he will show Daniel the truth. Now, friends, in order for the truth to be the truth, it must pass the test of fulfillment. Otherwise, it's just a meaningless claim. And friends, we are given opportunity to examine this claim ourselves. In Daniel 11:2, after Cyrus's reign, Gabriel informs Daniel that three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than them all. By his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. Now, history demonstrates that the three kings did follow Cyrus. They were Cambyses, the false Smyrtus, and Darius I. But fascinatingly, the fourth king is Xerxes. He's also known in the Bible as Ahasuerus in the book of Esther. He succeeded in gathering over 40 nations to commit troops for the Persian army against the Greeks. His strength and riches far surpassed those of the previous kings. Exact fulfillment of Daniel 11. This prophecy reveals new details, however, in Daniel 11, 3 and 4. It says this, Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be uprooted, even for others besides these. The Persians stirred up the Greeks, and these verses undoubtedly here refer to Alexander the Great. But new details emerge that his posterity would not inherit his kingdom. What does this mean? Friends, Alexander had no heir. Daniel 11, like Daniel 7 and Daniel 8 reiterate the fact that Alexander's kingdom would be divided into four. The remainder of this chapter speaks of that division and the struggles between the kings, describing them as the king of the north and the king of the south. Now, it is important for us to note in the three main visions of Daniel we have studied, we see a movement from literal Babylon to spiritual Babylon. Here, here's what I mean by that. Daniel 2 begins with literal Babylon as the head of gold and ends with the Roman legs of iron that reach into the feet and toes. Now, later in the Bible, the apostle Peter identifies Rome as spiritual Babylon, and that is in 1 Peter 5.13. 
Now, Daniel 7, likewise, begins with literal Babylon as the lion with eagle's wings and ends with the Roman beast. And again, Rome eventually being identified in Scripture as spiritual Babylon. Then again in Daniel chapter 8, the prophecy about the little horn traces the Western Greeks becoming pagan Rome and eventually evolving into papal Rome, spiritual Babylon. Now, in the same way in Daniel 11, there is a clear movement from the Greek Seleucid Empire to the pagan Roman Empire and then finally to the papal Rome. All of them symbolized as the king of the north. Now, as we return to Daniel 11, specifically in verses 5 to 13, these verses happen long after Alexander and describe battles between the king of the south who is identified as the Ptolemaic kingdom of Egypt and the king of the north represented by the Syrian or Seleucid empire. But in Daniel 11, 14 to 16, the Greek Seleucid empire is conquered by the pagan Roman empire who now becomes this king of the north. So the symbol of the king of the north begins with the Seleucid Greeks, but it moves to pagan Rome. Friends, here's what's amazing. This matches exactly, exactly with Daniel 8. The evidence of this transition from Greece to Rome is found in chapter 11, verse 16, and it states this. But he who comes against him shall do according to his own will, and no one shall stand against him. He shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his power. The glorious land, according to Daniel 8 and 9, represents Palestine, which was conquered by the Romans under Pompeii in 63 B.C. Now, furthermore, Rome as the king of the north is evidenced in Daniel 11, 20 and 22. Notice what verse 20 says. There shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom. Now, friends, this is undoubtedly a reference to Caesar Augustus. You'll remember Luke chapter 2 and verse 1 records that it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now, chapter 11 and verse 22 states that the prince of the covenant would be broken by the power of the king of the north. Now, friends, the prince of the covenant is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was executed by the Romans. We see this clear transition from the Greek Seleucid kingdom to the pagan Romans as the king of the north. And just as in previous chapters, Daniel 11:31 to 45 traces that the pagan king of the north evolves and becomes the papal king of the north. And just as the papal little horn of Daniel 8 defiled the heavenly sanctuary, so the papal king of the north does the same thing in chapter 11, verse 31. And then in verse 33, it says that God's people will instruct many yet, and here's what it says, for many days they shall fall by the sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. This harmonizes perfectly with Daniel 7.25, where the papal little horn persecutes the saints for 1260 years. 
Daniel 11:36 states, then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every God, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. It was the papal little horn of Daniel 7 and 8 that magnified himself, spoke great and pompous words against the Most High. And this all leads us to conclude that in Daniel 11:31, we transition from pagan Rome to papal Rome. Now, each of Daniel's visions all end with the doom of Babylon. In Daniel 2, the stone crushes the image, ending all kingdoms, including Rome. In Daniel 7, the Roman beast is destroyed at the second advent by the burning flame. And in Daniel 8.25, it says that the little horn shall be broken without human means. In Daniel 11.45, we find similar language regarding the king of the north. It states, yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. The king of the north, papal Rome, is spiritual Babylon, just as in Daniel 2, 7, and 8. But another remarkable similarity is that the visions move from a a local setting to a universal setting. Here's what I mean. Daniel 2 begins with literal Babylon, yet the rock crushes all the kingdoms, but also fills the entire earth, universal. In Daniel 7, God takes away the kingdom of the little horn and grants that the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High, universal. In Daniel 8, the little horn is broken without hand, a reference to the divine universal judgment of God. And here in Daniel 11, as it moves into Daniel 12, we see that the final battle is a worldwide battle that involves a universal time of trouble for all of God's people that is followed by a universal deliverance. In fact, Daniel 12 and verse 1 says this, And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Don't lose sight. God's people are at the center of the battle between the king of the north and the king of the south. Just as the king of the north went from literal and local to spiritual and universal, the same happens with God's people. Daniel 9, 24 refers to Daniel's people, the literal Jews, but ends with the expansion of the gospel to all people. In fact, Daniel 12, 1 states, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over all the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that time, and at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. This clearly points to the deliverance of God's people who are now found over the entire planet. Now, just as with previous prophecies, although the battles between the king of the north and the king of the south are at first military engagements, the ultimate nature of the battle at the time of the end is a spiritual battle that is fought over the sanctuary, the law of God and the covenant. Daniel 2, 7, 8, and 9 all point to that spiritual battle. The rock cut without hands is a reference to God. 
the little horn attempting to change the law, the little horn attacking the sanctuary, the Messiah being cut off, all point to spiritual battles. It's in the same way. In Daniel 11, verse 22, the king of the north crucified the prince of the covenant and sought to overthrow the covenant and make war upon those who honor it. The sanctuary and covenant are often placed together in scripture. The little horn attacks the heavenly sanctuary. The king of the north attacks the covenant. Friends, the clear conclusion is this. The warfare of Daniel 11, while fulfilling history, is primarily concerned with a spiritual warfare that is fought over the law of God. Now, what is the culmination of the battle between the king of the north and the king of the south? Well, Daniel 11:40 reads, At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. Now, we need to fast forward just a bit to understand this passage. In Daniel 12, 4, the angel Gabriel says to Daniel, Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Now, in Daniel 12, 6, Daniel asks, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? The very next verse says, It shall be for a time, times, and a half a time. When the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. In other words, the time of the end would begin after the 1260-year prophecy, which is equal to a time, times, and a half a time. Now, we have studied this before and discovered that this time began in 538 A.D., and that means it would end in 1798 A.D. Thus, the time of the end would be sometime around 1798. And it provides for us the context for the culmination of the last battle between these two kings. And so around 1798, the king of the south would push against the king of the north, which represents the papacy. Now, the king of the south originally represented Ptolemic, the Ptolemaic kingdom of Egypt. Yet, just as the literal Greco-Roman Seleucid Empire became the spiritual and worldwide papal Roman church under the symbol of the king of the north, so the king of the south at the time of the end would represent not literal, but spiritual Egypt. Now, it's interesting, if we go back into the Old Testament, Exodus 5-2, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, asks, Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice to let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Now, Revelation 11.8 declares that the dead bodies of the two witnesses will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So at the time of the end, spiritual Egypt represents the atheism and secularism that engulfed the nation of France, which is the only nation in modern history, by the way, to declare in her national assembly that there is no God. And although organized atheism in France is gone now, 
it has been taken up by other political systems around the world, and atheism is alive and well. But atheistic France struck a nearly fatal blow to the papal king of the north. This happened when Napoleon's general Berthier marched into Rome on February the 10th, 1798, and took the Pope captive. Many believed that the reign of the papacy had come to an end. The Bible, however, declared otherwise. Daniel 11.40 reveals that the king of the north would be revived and would come against the king of the south like a whirlwind. The king of the north would seek to expand his kingdom from Europe to the entire world. Remember, though, this battle is primarily a spiritual battle. Daniel 11.41 states, He, speaking of the king of the north, shall also enter the glorious land, and many shall be overthrown, but these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. The glorious land of Daniel 11.41 and the glorious holy mountain that formerly stood for the Jews in ancient Palestine now represent God's spiritual Israelites that are found all over the world. Since this is a primarily spiritual battle that is fought over the commandments of God, the king of the north seeks to enter the glorious land using economic and military force in order to compel God's people to accept the commandments of men in the place of the commandments of God. The sad result is that when church and state once more unite as they did in the dark ages, many of God's people will be overthrown. However, under the symbolism of Eden, Ammon, and Moab, who are closely related to God's people, Daniel 11.41 states that they shall be delivered out of the hand of the king of the north. Now, Daniel 11.42-43 informs us that the land of Egypt, which formerly represented the king of the south, will not escape. At the time of the end, Egypt represents atheism, which first appeared in the nation of France, but subsequently has spread to many other countries. In this spiritual warfare, the king of the north will eliminate atheism through signs and wonders. Yet as the king of the north is attempting to gain control over the entire world, Daniel 11.44 states, But news from the east... And the north shall trouble him. Therefore, he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. This news represents the preaching of the everlasting gospel, which according to Revelation 18.1 will light up the entire world. Unfortunately, the king of the north reacts in much the same way that the enemies of Christ reacted when he and his disciples preached the word with power. Instead of allowing the gospel to transform them, they used the strong arm of the state to destroy them. Daniel 11.45 then records the king of the north strategically positioning himself for the final strike against those who wish to be loyal to God and, is, and as he is about to deliver the death blow, the Bible tells us, that he shall come to an end, and no one will help him. Then the powerful words of Daniel 12.1. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, 
even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. Friends, Jesus is real and Jesus is alive. Jesus is in the heavenly sanctuary ministering on your behalf. He will stand up and he will deliver those who are loyal to him. And that, my friends, is a guarantee. It's a promise. So what will you do? Friend, I invite you, extend out your hand and clasp the hand of Jesus, the one who died for you and wants to deliver you. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more And the morning breaks eternal bright and fair When the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore And the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there When the roll is called up yonder When the roll is called up yonder When the roll is called up yonder when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. On that bright and cloudless morning, when the dead in Christ shall rise, and the glory of his resurrection share. When his chosen one shall gather to their home beyond the skies, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. Let us labor for the master from the dawn to setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll Heavenly Father, when the roll is called up yonder, may our names be found in the Lamb's Book of Life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My dear friends, there is a real Jesus who's in a real heaven who wants to have a real relationship with you. Today, I want to offer to you the book Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. That book will help you develop your relationship with Jesus. In addition to that, I'd like to offer you the entire Philosophy's Achilles Heel DVD set, all 16 programs for any size donation. Here's the information you need for today's offer. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. That's www.itiswrittencanada.ca and select the TV program tab. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Call any time. 
Lines are open 24 hours daily. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H7V4. And thank you for your prayer requests and your generous financial support. My dear friend, there is no worldview, there is no philosophy in the entire world that will give you the peace, happiness, and joy of following Jesus. This book can be trusted. Jesus can be trusted. And he wants to be in a personal relationship with you. I hope you've been blessed by this program. I hope you've been blessed by this series. I invite you to join us again next week. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.